0: Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through ConnectInvest to help you build a better tomorrow. cambridgesavings.com slash CSB1. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, working to unleash the immune system's power to fight cancer and help develop promising new therapies. Videos, white papers, and patient stories are available at discovercarebelieve.org. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. We often think of the most innovative people as oddballs, people who are marching to their own drummer. And if you're looking for a man who exemplifies that, try 15th-century Italy.
1: He's uh, illegitimate, he's gay, he's left-handed, he's somewhat heretical. He's all these things that they tolerate quite well in Florence in the 1470s, which is so very lucky for him.
0: And when it came to being different, for Leonardo da Vinci, that was only the beginning.
1: You know, he dresses as a bit of a dandy. He's incredibly good-looking. As a young man, he wears purple and pink tunics and shorter skirts than the normal uh, wear in uh, Florence at the time. And by being comfortable with being a misfit, a rebel, and somebody who's a little bit different,
0: I think that made Leonardo... Innovative. Walter Isaacson has spent decades writing about people who, to borrow a phrase from Steve Jobs, thought differently. Ben Franklin, Albert Einstein, even Steve Jobs himself. Isaacson's most recent book is another journey into a great creative mind. This time, it's Leonardo da Vinci's. Isaacson says that Americans have always loved experimenters and fiddlers and people who are outside the box and that our founding fathers were inspired by figures like da Vinci.
1: That's in America's DNA, to always be looking for the facts and be willing to test your theories against facts and revise your theories if the facts come in differently. Somehow, in some ways, we're losing that right now. And that's why Leonardo, or for that matter, Ben Franklin, could be an inspiration.
0: I asked Isaacson, What made Leonardo, Leonardo? What made him curious? What compelled him to understand and to always be testing the world around him?
1: Well, with Leonardo da Vinci, it's because having been born out of wedlock, That was a great asset to him Hmm. because, first of all, he doesn't have to become a notary like his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather. Secondly, he's not sent to one of the classical schools or universities there where you get received wisdom from the medieval scholastics. So he became – he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder about that at (laughs) first, which was he called himself a man without letters, untaught. He had to teach himself, he said. Hmm. But he became a disciple of experience and experiments. And so he's not somebody with some superhuman processing power like Isaac Newton or, or Einstein that mm-hmm. we could say, uh, we'll never be that way. Right. He just pushed himself by making to-do lists of what he wanted to learn to be more curious. Right. He would write things like, you know, why is the sky blue? And he would observe things like whether birds flap their wings upwards faster than they go downward. Discovered different species do it in different ways. And he loved looking at how water flowed into a pond or in a bowl and why it made swirls. These are things you and I and all of us can do if we just learn from Leonardo a little bit and pause and say, what am I curious about? Uh, One of my favorites on his list, after all the things he wants to learn, the measurement of Milan, he wants to ask somebody, how would you find the size of the sun? And then he says, describe the tongue of the woodpecker you know, who would wake up oh, one sure. morning and Your say— Your typical question. <laughs> yeah, who would wake up one morning and say, I need to know what the tongue— of a-. But, you know, how would you even find out? You know, right. find a woodpecker, open his mouth. But Leonardo <laughs> wanted to know. And it wasn't to paint a bird and it wasn't, you know, to do a flying machine. It was because he was Leonardo. Right. He just wanted to learn everything. And by— Seeing the cro- the patterns that cross different subjects in nature, not being siloed into disciplines the way we make our kids or our universities do things, uh, he was able to see, you know, curving and swirling patterns across nature even found out that the tongue of the woodpecker is a pretty interesting topic.
0: Hmm. And, well, and the way you describe it, too, is that, you know, he wasn't necessarily – he wasn't a university-trained kind of guy, but he was, like, on a perpetual sort of internship where he was asking locksmiths, like, how do, you, how do you change these locks? And, you know, he was always asking the experts in the field. And I don't mean, like, the experts in the academy, but just people who did things. How do you do those things?
1: Well, you know, in Florence and then in Milan where he goes when he's in his late 20s, he's a very collegial guy. He loves having friends who are around him who are smarter than he is and know more Mm -hmm. so he can always question them. And this is one of the true lessons of innovation is that it's a team sport. Even when he's doing Vitruvian Man, he's learning the proportions of man from reading some books like Vitruvius, but also from uh, two or three friends who design churches or architects and a friend who's an anatomist who dissects human corpses. So and Leonardo I should say Vitruvian Man
0: is the, is the guy with his arms out and his legs out, that really, really famous,
1: you know, almost looking like square. exactly
0: in a circle and square. Yeah, exactly. spread
1: eagle naked in the circle in the square And the cool thing about that drawing, to me, the greatest drawing, because it's iconic of the connection of art and science and spirituality, but the cool thing about that drawing is that he spent a lot of time perfecting anatomical measurements so he would get it scientifically right. Then he made it of almost unnecessary beauty. And more importantly, it's himself. That's a (laughs) self-portrait of him naked, looking, you know, with the wonderful curling hair he had. And it's him standing in the earth, in the universe, saying, how do I fit in? Hmm. And to me, because it was for church designs, you wanted to have a a church that fit the proportions of a human. It's how do we fit in, not only to our world, but to the entire creation. Hmm.
0: Um, You described da Vinci as having, like, all these little notebooks that he carried with him. You know, I think you said he attached them to his belt sometimes. They were just everywhere. Why did he carry these notebooks all over the place?
1: Well, taking notes on paper is another lesson we should learn from Leonardo. Because 500 years later, I could wander around from Venice to Windsor Castle to Bill Gates' home near Seattle and see those notebooks. Hmm. Because paper's a great um, information storage technology. You don't Hmm. have to worry about figuring out the operating system after 500 years, unlike our tweets and Facebook posts, which will Mm -hmm. certainly not be available, fortunately, in 500 years. And so Leonardo decided that every day he was going to take notes on paper. And fortunately, paper was a bit expensive, so he crammed everything he could onto a page. And so he would do sketches of a table that he might use for the Last Supper. But then he would do a craggy warrior, but it would dissolve into some mountain ranges. And then it would be triangles because he wanted to do the geometry of mountains. And then how triangles can fit into circles because he loved the transformation of shapes. And Mm -hmm. on one of those pages that has all of that, he even has how to make a hair dye out of boiling nuts and oil, And make blonde hair dye because, you know, there he was in his 30s and (laughs) (laughs) he's looking pretty good, but he doesn't want to go gray. So you see a mind dancing with nature Hmm. across different disciplines on every one of the 7,000 or so pages we still have of his notebooks. And to me, that became the foundation. Other people have written about Leonardo based on the 12 or so painting masterpieces Mm -hmm. he did But I wanted to say, let's go day by day and look at those lists, not only the shopping list of what he was going to buy for dinner, but Mm -hmm. to describe the tongue of the woodpecker and why is the sky blue type questions, Mm -hmm. and the little doodles he did that were preparatory drawings for his um, great paintings.
0: You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Walter Isaacson, the author of the new book, Leonardo da Vinci. Um, one thing that was, da Vinci was really interested in was flying. And I, he, I mean, he was really interested in trying to figure out how do humans fly? You, you know, can we make a contraption that would allow this to happen? Why was he so interested in flying? And obviously way before, you know, we actually ever went up in a plane.
1: One of the things I learned from the notebook that really surprised me and hasn't really been written about much before is his interest in flying contraptions began when he was producing thea- theatrical performances and plays and pageants both in Florence and then for the Duke of Milan when he runs away and goes to Milan because that was his main job when he was young is all these spectacles and theater shows. But the cool thing about Leonardo, and this is what we got to make sure our children keep doing, is he blurs the line between fantasy and and real observation mm. and engineering. Mm. So after doing that for the theater, he gets interested in real flying machines. Mm-hmm. And he tries to do the impossible, which is build a machine that's totally human-powered, where you can just flap it, flap the wings and fly away like a bird. And he realized after a while you couldn't do it that simply. But another lesson is you know, try something that's impossible and then learn why it is impossible. He ended up making great gliders and some pretty interesting drawings for all sorts of uh, human-powered uh, flying devices.
0: So it seems like, uh, from what you're talking about in terms of experiments and this kind of systematic way of trying to make progress, that in some ways da Vinci was like a link in the chain from medieval thinking to What was going to come, the Enlightenment, the scientific revolution? And, I mean, he predated all that, but it seems like he's foreshadowing it.
1: You're exactly right, Kara. He is a forerunner of the scientific revolution. In fact, when he has something he wants to try to figure out, he devises an experiment. For example, he figures out how the heart valve works because he loves swirling water. He realizes it's not the pressure of the blood that opens and shuts the valve— But when it goes from a larger to a smaller ventricle, it swirls, and it pulls the valve outward. But he said, let me test it. So he builds a little glass chamber, and he puts little grass seeds in it so he can see the swirls Hmm. of the water. And he even does something that's key to the scientific revolution that came 100 or 150 years later, which is he does various experiments changing some of the variables. In other words, he'll try it five or six different ways to make sure that it wasn't just a fluke, his experiment. So this is the beginning of the scientific revolution, and it really happens with this guy who tries to be an engineer but also understand by experiment the principles of nature.
0: Did he ever worry that sort of looking at the mechanics of invention either took some of the mystery away of it for him, Probably not. But but more importantly, might raise the ire of religious figures. I mean, I think of like 100 years later, uh, obviously Galileo was going to get in a whole bunch of trouble. Mm-hmm. Did this ever clash with the way – I mean, here he is like kind of dissecting bodies and really thinking about how things work. And in some way, that's taking away maybe from this sort of eternal mystery of it all.
1: Like any great innovator. He had no qualms about questioning authority. <laughs> okay. He loved to sort of question things. So take for ex- – and he, that's why he was considered a bit heretical, although mm. he didn't think of himself that way. For example, he loves fossils and he realizes that the stratification of rocks near the Arno River in Florence. He even discovers trace fossils, which means not fossils of, uh, of creatures – but of the traces they left in the earth. So he knows they must have been alive. And he looks at all the layers, and what does he conclude? That the biblical flood is just a myth. And Uh he writes that, and he doesn't mind doing it. And you know what? It's Florence. He's more tolerated than poor Galileo a hundred years later. Mm -hmm. Likewise, he looks at the fetus and the womb and figures out: Can it breathe? Does it have food? Is it viable? Does that mean it has a soul or not? Mm -hmm. Boy, you talk about a modern argument. That's one he wrestled with. So he did not mind. And the good thing about the church then was um, the popes were doing such uh, outlandish things at that point anyway, and. Some of them were Medici popes, and some of them were like parents of Caesar Borgia. Uh, They were a little bit more lax. uh, And so you have a flourishing of questioning and skepticism of science without it seeming like you have to excommunicate people for it.
0: Um, Leonardo was not, however, we should say, without some... I don't know if you want to call them failings, but it seems like one of them was procrastination. Um, at one point, you say he uh, created this needle grinding machine for the textile industry, and he thought like this is going to make me rich. So obviously, he did care a little bit about uh, about material wealth, um, but he like didn't follow through with it. So what with what was going on with Da Vinci and procrastination?
1: That's one of the key uh, sort of character traits of Leonardo that uh, we have to wrestle with. There's a whole group of paintings, Adoration of the Magi, St. Jerome in the Wilderness, that he doesn't finish. There are machines, like the needle-grinding machine that probably could have made him a lot of money, that once he's got it designed, you know, he doesn't really execute on it. There are treatises he writes on optics, on anatomy, on art, on uh, shade and light uh, that he never really publishes. <clears throat> At one point when he was doing The Last Supper, he was famous then. He'd go into the church and rush in, then stand there for long periods of time and finally do one brush stroke and then leave. And people gathered to watch him. And the Duke finally said, you know, you're procrastinating, basically. The Duke says, you know, why are you taking so long— He says, sometimes people work the best when they seem to be working the least. (laughs) They're able to gather all of the information, Mm -hmm. they let it marinate, and that gels into some great intuition. So he does teach us to procrastinate, although he does it in a very Leonardo da Vinci way, which is to make sure he's got all the information and he's letting it marinate well.
0: We've talked about this to some degree, um, but... Is there, like, a a takeaway that you think is important for people today um, from da Vinci? You know, some lesson that he teaches us.
1: I think he teaches us a wealth of lessons. I end the book with a whole uh, section on them. But if you're going to pick one, one word, it's curiosity. This is a person who was deeply, playfully, passionately, and sometimes obsessively curious about everything not just things that would be useful but things he was curious about for curiosity's sake i call it the tongue of the woodpecker phenomenon <laughs> anybody who's going to be curious about that will be curious about everything and even at the end of the book i don't want to spoil it yep no I it's true the there's an appendix of the about the tongue
0: of the woodpecker for all the people who are really wondering
1: and I say, it's not going to be that helpful to you to know this. <laughs> it's not useful to you, and it wasn't useful to Leonardo. But I think that maybe after reading about Leonardo, people will want to know just out of curiosity, pure curiosity.
0: Walter Isaacson is the author, most recently, of Leonardo da Vinci. He's also been CEO of the Aspen Institute, chairman of CNN, and editor of Time magazine. Walter, thank you so much for your time.
1: Cara, I really love being on
0: your show. If you felt like this interview broadened your mind a little, maybe changed your perspective or even made you just go, huh, that was interesting, take a minute to leave us a review on iTunes. It'll help more people find their way to our show. Plus, we will be indebted to you and someday that karma is coming right back at you.